Amen. Happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation yes. Day. Yes. We say that because uh, today, October 31st, is the 504th year of uh, the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because what else is happening in the world today do understand that they produced an evil day to celebrate death and demonic things to counter what God did in history to bring about the truth of the gospel. That's the origins of so-called Halloween. It was a counter move by the enemy to produce a, a, a time where things other than the gospel would be celebrated. How about that for distraction? When actually October 31st, 1517 is the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Now this is the day, on this very day, October 31, Martin Luther, as you possibly know, nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Werenberg, Germany. That's what David used to say when he was a little boy. He thought it was Werenberg. It's the Wittenberg. But poor David thought it was Werenberg. And St. Louisans will understand that reference. He nailed 95 points of dispute. Theses are um, statements that we can argue together. They were points he was raising about the Catholic Church needing to be reformed, the Pope needing to be reformed, the whole system needing to be reformed. And so he nailed it, which was a common practice for professors, because Martin Luther was a professor, to invite students and faculty to come and have a reasonable discussion on these points. Instead, his points raised the incredible ire of the Catholic um, establishment and dogma, and they made him pay for um, what he nailed on the, on the church door. But let's pray first. Heavenly Father, as we explore the truths of the Reformation and what we're enjoying today, we ask that you open our eyes and help us appreciate what you're doing the, in the earth and not pay attention to some scurrilous demons. But Father, in Jesus' name, to focus on you as the event of history, you changing our world for the kingdom of God, because that's what we Christians are about. We ask you to point us to that Holy Spirit and enlighten us in Jesus' name, amen. Here is one of the theses that was posted on the door. It was number 82, and it reads like this in English. His was, his was in German, of course, and I don't speak German. Why does the Pope not empty purgatory? For the sake of holy love and for the sake of desperate souls, for the sake of miserable money with which to build the church. He was collecting, the Pope was collecting, and the Catholic Church was collecting money, indulgences, that could pay your way out of purgatory. And all the money was being used to build St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which you can go see to today. And Martin Luther just thought that was ridiculous. What is the Pope doing raising money on a fake doctrine that's not even in the Bible? That was point 82 out of 95, but that's the one that really got him in trouble. He goes on to say, the former reasons would be most just 
while the latter is most trivial. He considered be building St. Peter's Basilica trivial compared to showing holy love to release people from this false doctrine. Luther intended to debate these questions on the 95 Thesis, but he raised the ire of the church instead, and they attacked him, as you know. But who would have realized that the sound of Luther's hammer would bring about a restoration, an order, basically the foundation of Western civilization? Because after that, the truths of the Reformation made its way over to our shores and took hold in Britain and other places through other reformers. And it formed the basis of Western civilization, which this teaching is timely, we are losing today. It was the Puritans who kept these truths alive, and it was the Puritans who, by and large, drove our documents that caused our founding. And so you can understand why evil people would want to destroy that foundation in order to get away with literally murder. But how dare this monk challenge the vicar of Christ? Who does he think he is? Well, do understand, Martin Luther, he wasn't trying to start a revolution. He wasn't trying to start a new religion. He was just being a good professor asking questions and getting students engaged in discussion and debate on these questions. And lo and behold, God used the sound of his hammer hitting a nail to change the world, which actually changed 1,500 years before that with the sound of another hammer hitting a nail that ultimately changed the world. But now, here's a little German monk, five foot four, 160 pounds, changing the world yet again and bringing us into a place of restoration. Today is the 504th anniversary of that event. Four years ago, there was the celebration of the 500th anniversary. Pope Francis announced at the anniversary of the 500 years of the Protestant Reformation, Protestants and Catholics now have the opportunity to mend a critical moment of our history by moving beyond the controversies and disagreements that have often prevented us from understanding one another. In other words, let's move on beyond this childish squabble and put it behind us. You can smile at me. This is a good teaching here. It's all right. <laughs> but don't you for a minute be fooled because the Catholic Church doubled down. It's called the Council of Trent. They not only didn't respond to Martin Luther, they doubled down on their false doctrines. And dare I say, to this day. So, Mr. Pope, tell your suggestions of putting this childish squabble behind us. Tell that to Tyndale, to John Huss, and Hugh Lattimore, who were burned at the stake for being loyal to Christ and not to the Catholic hierarchy. Tell that to Martin Luther, who lost his reputation, his friends, his family, a high church position and for upholding the truth of the Bible rather than being a slave to the Catholic system. So what is so special about the Reformation that I should take time even in this meeting 
to even discuss it or that we should celebrate it. Three things. There's lots more, but I'm going to just narrow it down to three things. What happened at the Reformation? What happened on October 31st, 1517? Well, what was restored to the world was the truth that we are saved by justification by faith and not by our own works. That becomes the central truth that even theologians in modern times say it's the doctrine by which the church rises or falls. Based on 1 Timothy 1.15 that says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's what a Catholic teacher would teach in 1517 and what a Catholic teacher would teach today. God will not deny grace to those who do their best. That's an untruth. God's not interested in your best. Your best is as filthy rags compared to a holy God. But what do we hear in our American culture? Just do your best. That's God's will. Just do what you can do. And God will help you. It's nowhere in the Bible. So justification by faith. I'm going to try to keep myself to 30 seconds here. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try because it's such a huge aspect of our understanding of, what, of the import of these things. Do you understand there's millions and millions and millions of Christians that are still trying to do their best, not understanding the true nature of the gospel, and don't feel free at all, but are still contained in works, and trying to please God and score brownie points. 1 Corinthians 5.21, somebody already prayed in the meeting, thank God. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Say, our behalf. Our that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's it in a nutshell. That is what justification by faith is. Double imputation. God's, our sin imputed to Christ. He became sin. On our behalf, not his, certainly for God's glory, but who did he have in mind? Us, the people of God, whom God had chosen to receive this. He became sin on our behalf that we might receive, have imputed to us, his perfect obedience to God. So in one respect, in Psalm 84, when it says, no good thing will he withhold from him who walks uprightly before him. When I was a new Christian, I used to read that and try my best to walk uprightly so he wouldn't withhold anything from me. But then I realized there was somebody else who walked perfectly, not me. And so in Christ, I can pray that prayer with confidence even though I fail and stumble through life, because I and you have been declared righteous. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you've been through in the past week or so that changes. Nothing changes. The declaration, once God slams his gavel down and says, not guilty, that's it forever. All believers smile at me, just so I know that you're getting this. Okay, praise the Lord. But not only are we saved by grace, by Christ's Christ merit and full obedience being given to us, but we have assurance 
that God will persevere with us to the end. He will help us to stay the course. He will keep us from stumbling and falling all of our days. So we can have a confidence in the presence of the Lord. How can we sing the songs that we're singing? How can we feel so confident in God's presence? He's a holy God. We're sinners. How can we have that confidence? Because Jesus Christ alone has paid the price of wrath of sin that we might be accepted by God, received by God. Are you ready? As joint heirs, as sons of the living God, that's who you are. Well, you don't know what I've been going through and you don't know how I, the rough time I had and you don't know the bad decisions I made. All wiped out in that tank, gone. And when you rise to newness of life, you rise in a new status before God as his very own son in the name of Jesus. If I stood before God in the name of Steve Adelini, I would become ash in one, one second. Because I cannot stand. God can't, I can't stand in the holiness of God. Nobody, no human can. But when I stand in God's presence in the name of Jesus, not only will I not be burned alive, I'll be received as a child of God and a joint heir forever. This is forever. It's not about going to heaven. It's about enjoying God now and forever as a family member. That's justification by faith. But you are assured this to the end. I used to pray in the Italian Pentecostal meeting that I was in. The, uh, the prayers all ended and the testimonies all ended. Pray for me that I make it to the end. I used to think that was the end of the meeting because it was so boring. <laughs> But they, they thought they could lose their salvation. All the Assembly of God revivals, so-called, that go on in this country are just uh, wayward Assembly of God people trying to regain their salvation. It's miserable. That's miserable. If you provided your salvation, you got to work pretty hard to keep it. But if God did it, if God secured your salvation, you will not fail. Oh, you may stumble and fall and skin your knees, but you get right back up again in your status and you move on when he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. What a great Christian life that is. Luther was so excited about this truth, he wrote this. My conscience would not give me surety. I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You left this out of your prayers. And the more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain, weaker, and more troubled. So thank God for justification by faith. Number two, what was restored to the church? What was restored in Christianity? What is there worth celebrating? The ultimate authority for humans on earth is the word of God. Not councils, not, not statements by uh, fallen men, not edicts from some headquarters, but the word of God is the ultimate authority in the earth. Amen. Is it any wonder that it's attacked so severely in times of evil and perverseness? Because the devil would want nothing more than to keep you away from the veracity and truth and the ultimate authority that from the word of God. Because he knows it changes lives. In 1517, people in Europe had been without a Bible they could read in their own language for 1,000 years. 
common people were held hostage to a few Catholic interpreters of the Bible teaching, do good and you will go to heaven, and held captive to a church that, looked, that they looked to for forgiveness, cleansing, and salvation. If you didn't have a priest, if you didn't have a confessional, if you didn't have something sprinkle on you, if you didn't have something set over you, you're going straight to purgatory or hell. It's a bondage when there's only one high priest, his name is Jesus. At the dedication of the first Protestant church building in 1544, Luther dedicated, he made this statement. They decorated it all nice, minus statues, minus all the things that you would find in the Catholic church. And he went up in the pulpit and he declared, we could do away with everything in this building for true worship except the word of God. He said, this is the only furniture or tool that you need in this building. What a profound statement. No wonder he was the scourge of the Catholic establishment. Luther went on to say, councils have contradicted each other. Popes have made up rules as fallen men. A simple layman armed with scripture is to be believed above a pope or council with the word of God. Neither the pope nor the church establishes articles of faith. These must come from scripture. For the sake of scripture, we should reject pope and council. Pretty tough guy, huh? These reformers were not weak, mealy-mouthed people. Could you imagine standing up against the entire world that was under the bondage of the Catholic Church? Not just Germany, the whole world. Thank God for Martin Luther. Thank God for October 31st, 1517. One of the cries of the Renaissance, which became a mantra in the Reformation, was the Latin phrase, ad fontes. Ad fontes. It means back to the fountain, back to the source. The Bible in the Reformation was over and over again the only source of faith and practice for all humanity. The return of the Bible. What did Martin Luther do when he was basically in house arrest? For a long period of time, uh, in one of the castles, he was held captive. They wouldn't let him out. He decided to write the entire New Testament from, uh, from Latin into German for the German people. So he put his money where his mouth was. He said he wants the people to have the Bible. Because when the people have the Bible, they have the truth. And they don't have to be held hostage by fallen men with big hats and big titles that scare the people. Back to the source, back to the fountain, ad fontes. So we have justification by faith. Number two, we have the return of the ultimate authority in the earth being the Bible. And from the Reformation on October 31st, 1517, something to celebrate. What Martin Luther proposed was the centrality of Christ in worship. The centrality of Christ in worship. You know, there are movements where the Holy Spirit is the featured person in the assembly. Now, I'm a Trinitarian, and there's something okay about that. But you know, you can go to some assemblies where they don't even mention Jesus at all. Song, preaching, nothing. Just what you can feel and get from the third person of the Trinity, whose job it is to promote the Son. 
John 14 through 16, his entire ministry is to promote Jesus to the people. And so I say this, you've got a, a different spirit that you're with. If you don't come out of a meeting more in love with Jesus, more fervent to serve him, more desirous to know him, then you encountered a different spirit. If it's all about you, that's not the Holy Spirit. How's everybody doing? Happy Reformation Day. You see, the Pope and the church, along with priests and Mary, sacraments, saints, rules, holy water, beads, etc., has supplanted the centrality and preeminence of Christ in Christianity. Even Martin Luther, before he was saved, when he got almost struck by lightning, the first thing he did was run home and stand in front of an idol of St. Anne, who was the patron saint of miners, his father's statue. His father was a miner. Miner as in digging, not miners and young. And he said, St. Anne, uh, you saved me from the storm. Now, I, I want to dedicate my life to Christ. And that was the beginning of his journey. But God took his simplicity and his, his ignorance and he used it. But now he was ready to dispose of the statue of St. Anne for the supremacy and the centrality and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, who we can go to in immediacy because we're justified by faith. Colossians 1.18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. I remember we taking our two youngest to Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia the first time. And as we drove up the big hill that's the entrance to the campus, it's on a mountain in, in uh, Georgia, half Tennessee. And as you're skiing this mountain, there's a gigantic stone structure that stretches out the side of the mountain. And it says, uh, Christ preeminent in all things. And as I'm driving up that driveway, I say, we're at the right place. We're at the right place. Parents, send your kids to institutions where Christ is preeminent. Because if you don't, something else will be preeminent in their life in no time. And you will not be there to rescue them. No extra charge for that one. I'll apologize later for that one. This point means a return to the gospel as the only means of hope for fallen humanity. So what is the gospel? If I took a little temperature here, and I won't do it, you're all right. If I said, what is the gospel? Oh, we talk about the gospel, the gospel. We need to get the gospel out. We need to be live by the gospel. What is it? Two things, real easy. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. The gospel. And if the gospel isn't promulgated, in the house of God every Sabbath, some other spirit is. Some other feature is. Something else besides Christ is being preached. So Martin Luther helped to get us back on track to keep Christ preeminent in all things, not just on the Sabbath, but the centrality of our entire life. Fallen humans are constantly vulnerable to slipping away from the gospel and to self-help and self-esteem. Most modern churches teach these te teachings now. Self the best you. This is the best you. 
<laughs> Here's what the Bible says about the best you. You're dead. You died. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Charles Simpson used to say, we're trying to keep alive something that God killed. To live for Christ is what Christianity is all about. How do you explain martyrdom? How do you explain our African friends, Indian friends, Pakistani friends, Chinese friends? How do you explain them enduring what they're going through if it's about self-esteem and your personal blessing? How do we explain that? You can't. Because it's all about Jesus. And read the last book. Jesus said, uh, you're going to reign with me if you don't love your life unto death. If you love your life, don't love your life unto death. <laughs> but you consider yourself dead, and as long as Christ is honored, then I'm blessed. <clears throat> this was Paul's concern for the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2-5, through 5, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if we receive a different spirit from the one you received, or we accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. The New Living Translation says this, you seem to believe whatever anyone ever tells you. And so there isn't a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. On October 31st, 1517, it represents the beginning of the greatest revival of truth in human history, starring Martin Luther. The Reformation brought us back. It restored us to justification by faith the authority of Scripture, and the preeminence of Jesus Christ, which is true worship. This is what he has done for us. So because time is over, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. I'm going to read to you the words uh, to the hymn, Lily of the Valley, majoring on the centrality of Christ, because... That's what apostles are about. They examine foundations and say, is Jesus honored here? Is Jesus central here? Is Jesus on everybody's lips? Or bettering the humans, is that their objective? Bettering the humans to the Bible means being conformed to the image of Christ. The words to the lily of the valley, I found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. Though all the world forsake me and Satan tempt me sore through, through Jesus, I shall safely reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, star He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. So in closing, to celebrate Reformation Day, 
there'll be some fun things this evening. We just stay away from the gore and the ugly and the evil and the dead. But you can celebrate, you can honor Martin Luther, you can honor the fathers who went before us that we can stand up here and make this proclamation. Because it's because of these fathers in our faith that we can say these things. And so we owe them an amazing debt of gratitude. But here's how you can apply this teaching. Number one, trust in Christ alone for salvation and nothing else. Number two, reading your Bible every day. It's in your language. Can I just say this, friends? I've traveled all over the world. I know people that aren't allowed to have Bibles. I don't know how long we're going to be able to do this. Not being doom and gloom. But in China, my friends memorize. When they get snippets of the Bible, they memorize it because they're not allowed to have them. Oh, but they've got the Olympics coming up in Beijing. Isn't that nice? We are most grateful to have, so far, a free nation. Don't take it for granted, because the first thing they'll take away from you isn't your guns. It'll be this. Read your Bible every day. And finally, number three, fix your eyes on Jesus at all times. Let's please stand.